really what gets me excited about IFS too is how are we, especially those of us who are pursuing a Christian Catholic life of desiring to give of ourselves, how are we to give of ourselves if we don't possess ourselves in this way of being able to have this integrated and whole system. And so sometimes, yeah, it can be tumultuous, like being, you know, in reintegrating these, these exile parts, but it's so worth it. Welcome to This Whole Life, a podcast for all of us seeking sanity and sanctity and a place to find joy and meaning through the integration of faith and mental health. I'm Kenna Malay, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm with my husband, Pat Malay, a Catholic speaker, musician, and leader. We invite you to our kitchen table. Okay, not literally, but but you're definitely invited into the conversations that we seem to keep having once the kids have scattered off to play and we're left doing the dishes. We're excited to share this podcast for educational purposes. It is not intended as therapy or as a substitute for mental health care. So let's get talking about this whole life. Welcome back to This Whole Life Podcast. Listeners, it is so, so good to be with you um, and to be with you, Louisa, here in our recording studio today. Welcome, Louisa Hall. Thank you. Thank you, Kenna. It's an honor to be here. I um, have to admit that there's a, you know, a little bit of nerves coming up right now, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm yeah, more than honored to, to be here and to be here behind the scenes with yeah. This Whole Life. Yeah, well, you can borrow my joy and excitement to balance out your nerves because this is an episode that I have been waiting mm-hmm. to record and specifically with you um, on internal family systems. But first, maybe before we jump right in, which I am often want to do, we can give just a little bit of context yeah. for listeners um, who are coming back to us and um, are just on this journey of seeking sanity and sanctity. So, Louisa, you are a clinical intern with us yeah. at the Martin Center for Integration. Um, and so you are in the throes of your practice of actually getting to work with clients of your own and put your education and your own empirical wisdom to work. Um, what else would be helpful for listeners to know, especially as we um, get into this topic of IFS today? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, yeah, as Kenna just mentioned, I am, yes, at the Martin Center for Integration and starting to see clients, which has been uh, such a beautiful, um, also, yeah, difficult, challenging, um, all the various aspects that um, it has been. Um, And yeah, currently I am in grad school. So I'm at Divine Mercy University and I am in my final months. So I'm getting down to, yeah, the last, (laughs) the last stretch here, which feels very good um, to be making my way. Divine Mercy University, it's a small Catholic school on the East Coast, for those of you who don't know, Um, but it's a hybrid program. So I live here in the Twin Cities area and then I fly out um, to Virginia a few times throughout the program for residencies. And so, yeah, it feels good to be getting to the final stretch. Yeah, right now I kind of have two feet in in one in clinicals, one in classes and um, still yeah, finishing up there. So that's where I'm at currently. Um, as for, I'm just thinking, as for background, um, coming into the field of mental health and yeah, maybe some of you listeners are wondering, you know, what has prompted you to um, yeah, go down this route of pursuing a degree in uh, clinical mental health counseling. And so really how I see it when I look back on my life, I mean, hindsight 2020, right? Yes. <laughs> um, I noticed that there's definitely certain points um, that are very significant in my story as I look back that have led me to where I'm at today. And so even uh, first just starting in high school, just having an encounter with a friend who um, we were in a class together and there was an extended amount of time where she didn't show up to class. And so I remember, yeah, reaching out to her and wondering, hey, like, where, like, curious where you've been, like, I miss you. And uh, yeah, I I eventually heard a response back and she shared that she actually was in the hospital because she was being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, um, because up to that point, I think mental health was something that seemed like that was separate, kind of more set aside for those who had serious mental health disorders and wasn't something that was talked about in my home growing up. Um, And so encountering this friend who 
from the outside, like I thought, wow, things seem to be going great in her mm-hmm. life. And then mm-hmm. noticing and hearing this was kind of a shock for me. And so when she mm-hmm. eventually did come back to class, I remember not really knowing how to interact with her and not no. knowing how to um, yeah, support her. But just really having, I noticed a desire in my heart to understand and this compassion that was present of like, whoa, like, tell me, like, what was it like to be in the hospital? Like, tell me wow. about this experience, because this is something that I have haven't encountered before. Um, And so that was really, I think, my first experience with mental health in a personal way. Um, And then I would say some other prominent moments were uh, more actually experiences where there was a lack of mental health support. Um, Mm -hmm. There were some ministry settings that I was a part of. And just in those settings, I noticed that many a times that there was a lack of support, um, especially concerning those who were in leadership roles or in, in ways that were yeah, of serving others and noticing how without that uh, support that, that could have been there, that there was a lot of just difficulties that rose up in those, those situations. And I think those experiences actually initiated kind of a part of me that was angry um, of like, oh, like this, this need identifying that. And then even in, in college, I, that was when I first started to notice my own psychological blocks and my need for therapy. And so I ended up uh, going to pursue some, some therapy at that time. But unfortunately, my experience with the, the counselor was uh, not the most positive. And so actually, it brought about just some feelings of like, whoa, here I am being vulnerable with you and you're not receiving me in the way that I desire. And so actually I walked away from that experience, didn't end up going back to that counselor, but really initiated within my own heart, like this sense of, whoa, there's a need here because like when people come to therapy, it's such a vulnerable spot um, that you're coming into. And there is a need to be able to to receive others in their wholeness and their fullness. Um, And and so really it was kind of those I mean, there's many other little little sure. moments also throughout my life that have led me then to pursue uh, the degree that and the going down this route of supporting others in their mental health. Yeah, well, and in such an intentional way, you know, with the integration and with this foundation of understanding the human person as revealed in Jesus and as understood in the tradition of the church. Like I just, I'm hearing that throughout your story of um, wanting to help and with this sense of purpose and clarity about wholeness. Um, And that's a ton of what we're going to talk about today is how do we do that on this earthly pilgrimage to heaven? Um, How do we go, how do we move toward wholeness? Um, so thank you. Thank you for yeah breaking open your own story and, and letting us in. There are elements of that that I didn't know. Um, so I feel privileged um, to, to better know you through it. Um, but let's, we start, Louisa, we start our episodes with a high and a hard. Um, and so if you're up for it as our guest, I would love to hear what's high and hard in life lately for you. Yeah, I've been thinking about this, Kenna. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, um, yeah, I'll start with my high because I alluded to it yesterday when, um, yeah, I was mentioning, Kenna asked me yesterday, like, what are you thinking about these cold mornings? And I said, I absolutely... it's already cold in Minnesota, people. <laughs> exactly. All you Southerners. <laughs> and I said, I love it. I love it so much. I I mean, it's, I mean, here in Minnesota, it's the end of August and we're getting some cooler mornings. I mean, it's going to warm back up again. So, but I, yeah. Yeah, I love the fall. I love autumn. I love everything that comes with it. And so whenever I start to taste that little bit of, all right, it's getting cooler, <laughs> I get very excited. And so that's been my high lately of just the anticipation of pumpkin spice lattes, <laughs> the leaves changing. I'm I'm ready for it. So that's, awesome. um, that's my high. Um, and the heart that I am currently encountering is just encountering my own mess, my own stuff that has been coming up as, yeah, as I've been receiving clients and, yeah, and realizing that maybe in the past, it'd be easy to stuff it under a rug, try to get rid of it, try to find ways to mm-hmm. ignore it. But this time around, it, you know, it, it there's actually... And, you know, need to go through it in order for me to best serve my clients and to best be able to and to love those around me. Um, and so really my heart has been encountering the mess because I really don't like messes and yeah. I don't have the best relationship with messes. And so um, <laughs> I am, <laughs> yeah, learning how to, 
yeah, embrace the mess. And the parable that I keep coming back to in my own prayer and just in my life has been the wheat and the weeds and just that mm-hmm. acknowledgement of how in my own life that there are a lot of weed, weeds and then a lot of wheat and they grow together and how many a times I want to parse out like, oh, like this is the wheat, this is the weed and want to separate the two. Uh, but realizing that right now, like the season that I'm in is just letting them grow together and trusting that the the harvester, um, you know, the Lord will in his good time will then bring a harvest and be the one to separate the two. And so right now just mm. embracing the mess and mm. allowing it to be a place of transformation, but it's, it's hard, it's hard, it's painful and it's uncomfortable. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, such surrender, I hear in what you're describing. Um, hmm. So maybe, yeah, similar in that theme. Um, I'll start with my hard, which is we are we are in the midst of moving, of selling our home and moving to a home that fits our family, which has grown significantly since we first moved into this house um, and just the needs that we're learning our our children have as they become older. And and yeah, just they need different things. Um, the hard is, I don't know, recognizing, I guess, limitations. We, we had this conversation at dinner the other night with some of our kids who aren't 100% thrilled with the house that we are are going to pursue and just speaking to them about limits and and the finiteness of money and time and resources and how we don't get to check all the boxes we can have this wish list and we're talking about a house but you know just realizing this is this is true in this life right this this side of heaven um that that I I do have to let some things go and grieve that and surrender it and trust that the lord will will provide in different ways and and so just for myself too this the house we have chosen is is a wonderful option for our family and there are also things that we have to let go of dreams and hopes and um that are not going to come with this particular house and so just kind of looking at my whole life um with mm-hmm. with that lens and being honest and real with the lord about the upset feelings that i have around that um and also inviting him into it and just saying and i trust jesus i trust in you like in the midst mm-hmm. of all that like i trust that you'll provide i trust that you've got something even better planned for us um you know here's what we thought was going to happen and and here's what's actually happening. So that is a hard with that. I cannot uh, diminish the high of having a home that we do know that Mm. will be so good for our family in so many ways. And um, the excitement of new, new schedules, new structures. Um, it's We're taking it as an opportunity to ramp up our kids' chores, which I'm super excited <laughs> about. They're going to take a bit more ownership. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a hard reset mm. um, and it's going to be a lot of work to get there, but I'm also feeling excited about the prospect and um, what God might be inviting us into. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure you'll hear a lot more about this, listeners, as we go, because um, moving is no small feat, especially with um, seven children who are not all, you know, the most helpful at packing fine china. So <laughs> let's be real. We don't have fine china. But um, <laughs> um, so let's get into our topic today, Louisa. So I've already referenced listeners, internal family systems or shorthand in the biz is IFS. And um, IFS was developed by a family therapist by the name of Richard Schwartz. Um, Dick Schwartz has written many books, um, and you can find YouTube videos and you know different literature about this idea of internal family systems. and And basically, it came out of um, his work with families and recognizing that there were these consistent roles that he kept seeing individuals within a family play: um, the black sheep the golden child, the peacemaker, you know, these kinds of things. And and from family to family, he saw this consistent pattern and then realized as he met with each individual that within themselves, they had this, quote, family of parts, the part of me that, you know, wants to do well and make others happy, the part of me that wants to be a rebel and push against, you know, just it's it's flexible. We don't all, all have these kinds of parts necessarily, but um, but that is where IFS came out of. And um, it is a newer theory on the block. Um, and it has really taken off, I think, particularly in Catholic circles, because there is something, there's a lot of truth in it. Dick Schwartz himself is actually an atheist, which I think is very curious to me. Um, but there is something that resonates with our understanding of the human person. 
And so I'm just curious, Louisa, like, how did you get interested? Because you came when we first had our initial mm-hmm. conversation, like you already were up yeah. to your eyeballs in IFS. Yeah. I didn't introduce it to you. Nope. So um, so I, I can either take credit or blame. But um, <laughs> but yeah, what drew you to it? And what have you learned about it as you've taken a deep dive? Yeah, yeah. So I like to think back to, again, high school. <laughs> um, high school is a big time. Um, in high school, I found myself a lot of the times encountering um, my own internal world and finding it very confusing. Uh, And so I remember I used to spend a lot of time journaling and just, yeah, just spending time of like, whoa, like what is going on inside of me? Because it didn't make a lot of sense. I found it to be very confusing inside of Louisa's internal system. Uh, And so yeah, I mean, looking back, I'm like, great coping skills. <laughs> um, so I'd spend a lot of time, uh, yeah, just like writing and yeah, just like observing like what was going on inside of me. And actually, one of my favorite things to do is like to go back and like look at those journals. And so funny enough, like a few years ago, so this is way before, right, even knowing about internal family systems, I looked back at my journal and I was writing about parts and writing about like, oh, this part of me that wants to do this and the part that wants to do that. And I feel like they just don't want to get along. And I feel this turmoil, like Louisa's internal turmoil and um, and would come up a lot. And then it wasn't until, yeah, fast forward, like first year of grad school that I started to, uh, uh, for those of you who don't know, many of my friends know this, but I'm a avid, very avid podcast listener, which may be why I'm like half terrified being on a podcast because <laughs> I'm like, I've listened to so many. You're doing <laughs> and, great. You're amazing. Yeah, thanks. Um, and so, yeah, so I spend a lot of time. I love to learn and just listening to just different ideas and perspectives. And so when I was a first year grad student, um, one of my friends who was ahead of me in the program had sent me uh, uh, Peter Malinowski, his podcast, Interior Integration for Catholics. And so as I started to listen, so for those of you who don't know Dr. Peter, he's a Catholic psychologist and he, I mean, he went years of utilizing other theories and then most recently integrating internal family systems into his work and in that integration with Catholicism. And as I started to listen to his podcast, I was drawn to the episodes about IFS. Like I just randomly started listening to one. And as he started to speak, I just felt like my whole internal system, my whole world was like, whoa, like it felt like it was being understood in a way that I never had understood it before. And it put a language that really made sense, made sense to me. And I got so excited about it because I was like, whoa, this is this is going to help me in my journey, but also like I hope to share it with others and be able to integrate it into my work. And so really there was this excitement that was born um, because I think a lot of times when we don't have the language to, you know, be able to identify what's going on within, it can just feel like a whole confused mess and hard to know even where to start, where to begin. And, um, and so it was really that, that encounter of this, this, like way of thinking and understanding and conceptualization of my internal experience that um, drew me in. So yeah, that's how oh. I first encountered IFS. Love it. Love it. And I mean, so you have, you know, ripped through all of Dr. Malinowski's podcasts um, and you have even done an externship with Dr. Peter Martin, um, who is another Catholic therapist um, and have specifically in IFS that was focused on IFS and, and understanding, like you said, your own internal world, um, as well as helping others to understand theirs. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, there's so much about parts language and the concept of parts that helps bring understanding and insight into confusion. And our human experience is often confusing. Um, and, and we know a lot of that has to do with the fact that we are not made for this world mm. and for you know this on, only this earthly existence, and yet here we find ourselves. And so, just yeah. that in and of itself is this dilemma or this conundrum. Um, and so, I have loved the way that my own understanding of IFS has brought order. We know that God mm. is a God of order, mm-hmm. and that disorder, you know, is the work of the evil one. And so, um, to bring order, to bring leadership, which all these things we'll talk about more in depth in a moment. But yeah, just want to echo what you're saying and share in that excitement. And listeners, just really, you know, this is a different episode than we're used to doing. This is a bit more didactic, um, a bit more psychologically heady. Um, but Louisa, what I'm excited about 
in speaking with you about it is is your willingness to share how it comes to life in in your internal world and in the hopes that this will help our listeners be able to apply it so that it doesn't remain just intellectual yeah. knowledge um, but really takes root in the heart and can have um, can have impact in their lives as I know it has in mine and, and as you've said in yours um so so let's talk about that let's talk yeah. about um, what is IFS? Let's get hip with the lingo and give our listeners some sense of the structure of the theory and the way that we work within it. By the way, it's worth mentioning that Dick Schwartz is very clear that he believes that most of us, you know, with discipline, we can apply IFS to ourselves. It is, you know, common that folks go to a therapist. I myself need someone outside of me often to help me to unblend my parts, to create, you know, separation so I can really hear them individually and and, and understand them one-on-one. But in his book, No Bad Parts, um, it is just filled with different exercises that can help each of us do this kind of work on our own, which I think is kind of amazing and unique about this type of therapy. Um, so I just want to be clear about that, that um, this is something that you could pick up and you know try for yourself. And I know you're challenged by choice. You'll do that too, Louisa. But, um, but yeah, so getting ahead of myself here. So can you help us, Louisa, just get the framework Let's lay the groundwork for understanding IFS. I would love to. So kind of the first way uh, that I like to present IFS for those who are new to it. So even with some of my clients who I'm starting to introduce and they're like, what is this thing that you're talking about? Like, what is IFS? (laughs) um, And so usually how I go about it is first describing an analogy. And so I pulled this analogy. This isn't a Louisa original, but this is actually Dr. Peter Malnowski. Um, And it's been really helpful for me in just laying kind of the groundwork, the framework of IFS. And so it is this analogy of, um, so imagine uh, a jazz band. Um, And if that's harder to grasp, you know, maybe an orchestra. So we have the conductor in the middle, um, and then we have the musicians who gather around, and there's all sorts of different instruments that are there within that um, specific, you know, orchestra or band. Um, And so as the music starts, these different parts of the orchestra or the band start to play. And unlike, so this is where, you know, the distinction, I guess, that Dr. Peter makes is that when it comes to IFS, a way to understand it and the parts is that uh, more closely related to a jazz band, which I have to admit, I've only maybe have seen a jazz band play like once when I was younger. Um, so maybe I don't know if you've had more experience. I was in kinda... a seventh grade jazz band, Louisa, okay. so I'm pretty much an expert. Okay. So um, I'll great. help you out here. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, <laughs> fill in my gaps, fill in my gaps. <laughs> um, but it's my understanding. So if I'm, you can let me know if I'm getting this right. But within a jazz band, there's that element of spontaneity um, where the different, so unlike an orchestra, which may be playing a specific song right a certain Mm -hmm. score um within a jazz band there is that element of improv and these parts that start to play and there's a trust of the conductor because i mean there might be that main you know like teacher in the middle but there's that element of these parts can can play in their own unique way in their own and bringing it together into one yeah one song I've not heard that before, and I love that. That mm. is particularly what you're saying about the improv, um, because what you're alluding to is the fact that parts can sometimes go rogue <laughs> yes. in a way that is um, can be hurtful to and and disunifying. Right? It could ruin the song, yeah. basically, to stay with your metaphor. It could ruin the song, and and then there are ways in which these parts can really show up. Right? That that. Um, I don't know what's in a jazz band, a, a trumpet, a trombone, like yeah. that these parts can show up and and it's supportive of and it actually enhances the life of the song and the life of the band. And so and, and yet it's that conductor's role there to hold them together to to hold that leadership position. Um, yeah, I love that. I to to get even more into the terminology of IFS, um, Schwartz talks about the true self, protectors, and the exile. And so the way that I talk about it with my clients is I say your true self is that part of you that existed from the beginning of time, that part of you that 
that knows you are good and knows you are worthy, um, that part that wasn't yet touched by original sin and the doubt and the fear and the anxiety that comes with the fall um, and, and with the way that we are drawn into the fall. And so that is the true self and that um, you know we exist in that true self state for hopefully several years as as we come into this world in our infancy and in our toddlerhood and and in that curiosity and then things begin to happen usually around you know going to school age where we are um, we encounter the world we encounter its harshness and its brokenness and it hurts us sometimes through people we know sometimes just through things things that we witness sometimes through strangers um, but there's this part of us that I think of like getting broken off and it gets sent out onto this exile island. This, this That wound is out there. And I, I do think of it as an island and, and Schwartz calls it the exile. And it holds the feelings, the memories, and also the beliefs and the understanding of self that comes as a result of that. So maybe abandonment comes into a child's life and that belief of I am not enough. And so that exile heads out there on that island. And what I'll say to clients and what I think to myself is like, it would be too much to live with that weight of that lie of I am not enough every day. And so we have these protector parts that come in and say, okay, we're going to save Kenna. We're going to help her not have to um, be weighed down by that and be burdened with that every moment of every day. So we're going to do our part to run interference between the exile out there and her true self over here. And, and you know, this one protector of mine is a perfectionist partner, works really hard, and it loves to try to earn my worth, right? Brene Brown would say, hustle for my worth. Um, so I've got a hustling part. Um, and then I've got a self-critical part, perhaps, that anytime I step out and I'm, and I'm, it worries that I'm going to be the recipient of criticism, it'll, it'll swoop in. So, so, I hope listeners you're getting this sense of the dynamism among these parts. And and I think this might be, you know, a good a good point to say um clients can often feel like I'm leading them in the path of like multiple personalities mm. or like mm-hmm. what we call now in the DSM-5 dissociative identity disorder. Um, and, and that is very different. And Schwartz talks about um, why that is distinct, um, that that happens in, in rare cases where individuals really do have multiple senses of true self. Um, you know, by and large, the, the vast population, it is a singular true self that has many parts that we want to bring under the leadership of true self. I think about it as, you know, the the parental subsystem being in leadership over multiple children and drawing mm. them in and saying, we have a mission as a family. We have goals. We have values as a family. We're each going to have different strengths and ways that we live that out. But ultimately, we want to work together. And even that brother who, you know, has become the black sheep and who seems to have these ways, the, you know, the wayward son um, that we're like, oh, it'd just be so much easier if John Johnny wasn't here to create chaos at Christmas. It's like, no, that's not actually true. Um, we are less when we do not have the whole of us put together. Mm-hmm. And I'm even thinking back to the jazz band um, and where the difference, the distinction between the orchestra and the jazz band is that um, there could be so it could be a lot easier, right, to have that conformity within the parts of like, oh, of, you know, yes, we're, we're saying that self-leadership is essential and important, but we're not saying that the self-leader is like controlling the parts or is saying, oh, these parts have to operate in this certain specific way, but we're celebrating and able to allow space for, with, such as like within a jazz band to, yeah, like express like their own unique way, their own unique personality or expression of, um, and celebrating that like those differences that might be there, that diversity within those parts. And yes, within that structure of a, of a system, um, but I think that is important to acknowledge that it's less about conformity and needing to be fit within a certain way, but more of this ooh, allowing space for there to be um, yeah, this this wholeness, this diversity um, amongst the parts. And that as we go through life, things happen that prick that exile that that make it um, make its you know, the beliefs and the feelings and the memories that it holds 
they threaten to come right back to us and get real close to us. And those protectors, they increase um, and they strengthen and they work hard to try to push that exile back out of like, oh, that's not that's not good. It's not good for Kenna to be connected to that part of herself. And what can happen when we live life for so long in this way is that true self, that part of us that that knows deep down that we are made in the image and likeness of a God who is good and therefore we are inherently good. We are dignified. Um, we are worthy. That diminishes and and sometimes the protectors can be so big and so strong um, that we don't even see or experience true self at all. Yeah, no, I I think you described that very well. Um, I mean, the one thing I'm just thinking about is the term like blending, and maybe we're still getting to that. But if, if what you were just describing there of how when these parts, especially the protector parts uh, specifically when they can be so strong. And, and again, that notion, and, you know, we may get more into this too, of like the no bad parts, like there's no bad part. And so even that understanding of just, I mean, it can feel, feel so much like a protector part is trying to destroy us or trying to do something that's like, oh, like, why is it doing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, come on, self-critic, why you keep getting in the way? Um, And it can be frustrating, so, so frustrating. And really then, you know, like when it, get so strong it can this idea uh, in IFS of blending it blends with the self and just as you were saying like there's this loss of true self because uh, this protective part can just take over the driver's seat start driving in a direction that you don't want to to or maybe that you're not even aware of that you're going into um, and so really just that understanding of how even when it can feel so like, why is my my part doing what it's doing? Um, that there still is this understanding within IFS that my part actually is trying to to help me, even as strange or exotic as it might seem that this yeah. part is is operating. Um, so I just was thinking about that as you were describing um, that dynamic. Yeah, definitely that blending. I mean, that is often the first work that we do with our clients when we are beginning to do parts work, IFS parts work, um, is the unblending because they come to us as this like tangled ball. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, mm-hmm. for so many years, there have been part, you know, protectors that have been showing up to say, okay, let's not, let's not um, live with such rawness and vulnerability because that's exhausting. Yeah. Like I can understand that. Yeah. Um, that's exhausting. And yet these protectors have a very, I think often narrow, narrow way mm. of understanding how to protect. Um, and and we would say um, maybe at a time it was adaptive, but has since become maladaptive. So, you know, for example, um, if I have a part of me that is, um, you know, Susie Sunshine, a Susie Sunshine part that just puts on a happy face and um, really works hard to cover up the hurt and, and the woundedness, well, okay, that can work for a time. But when I'm really ready to develop deep friendship, deep relationship, maybe with a, a religious community that I'm discerning with or with a potential spouse, house, that's going to get in the way. And so for a time, Susie Sunshine maybe helped me survive um, maybe difficulties in my family of origin or in my environment or traumatic, you know, acute situation. But then there comes a moment where um, I, that that's not actually what's going to help me flourish. Um, and IFS, I think something that really resonated about the theory for me and where I was like, Schwartzman, you don't even know how much truth you're speaking, <laughs> you know, um, thinking that there is no God in this. But mm-hmm. but the goal is integration. Yeah. And the goal is, as St. Irenaeus would say, the human person fully alive, which is something we quote often here because that is the purpose of sanity and sanctity, right? It's not just for a life of comfort or just for a life that others see as good, but it's for the flourishing of the human person and and the the reflecting of an aspect of God that the world would never get to see without this person being whole. So I I want to I want to acknowledge first of all that there are other podcasts that I think will probably do an even better job of 
um, explaining the structure of IFS. And we'll link those in the show notes, guys. I can think of um, Naming the Real is one of the first podcasts that I heard that really, I feel like, did a great job explaining particularly the roles of protectors and exiles. So we'll link all that up. But um, I'm I'm really excited, Louisa, to talk about it from this um, Christian anthropological understanding of the human person and why IFS makes sense to you know to do the therapeutic work to do the healing work through this lens. Um, so so yeah, never fear, we've got other resources for you guys. Um, but wanted to also talk about how Schwartz explains true self and how do we recognize true self? Because I actually think it's interesting in his book, No Bad Parts. It's, it's a wonderful book, but I feel like he actually misses out on that opportunity and it comes at the very end. And I want my clients, I want myself, my children, my husband to to know their true self, to see when it shows up and to increase its life and to increase its leadership. I'll often say to my clients, like, is your true self driving the bus? Mm. Like, is mm-hmm. it the other parts are along for the ride, right? We, we're not trying to eliminate these other parts, even right. as maladaptive as their strategies can be. Um, but we really are trying to have true self help bring that order about like the conductor yeah. of the orchestra. Yeah. Um, so um, Schwartz gives the eight C's of the self. And so these are ways that we can know our self is leading. When there is curiosity and calm, confidence, compassion, creativity, clarity, courage, and connectedness. He would say these are the hallmarks of the self. And this is when we know when we're operating out of that state. And you'll notice it is free of fear, (laughs) concern for others' judgment of us. Um, I really love this because it it speaks to the life of the Holy Spirit in us. Um, It instantly makes me think of Jesus, you know, and just, yeah, yeah, just the way that Mm. he exuded all of these things. Um, and, and I can envision someone being fully alive and, and espousing these traits. Um, so other thoughts on the true self before we go on to talk about protectors and exiles, Louisa? Yeah, I think Kenna, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were describing uh, true self is that component of the intrinsic nature of it and how, yeah, sometimes like I even think about how within my own my own life and my own story, at times it can it was difficult to acknowledge like this sense of a true self that was good and really possesses this dignity, this goodness. And oftentimes I think about it as, you know, even like the sun in the sky, <laughs> like how yeah. sometimes it's cloudy, sometimes the sun isn't we can't always see it because perhaps there's clouds that are blocking the view, but it's there. Like no matter what, it's there. So even as much as uh, maybe even the listeners right now are like, hey, do I have a true self? Uh, yes. It's like, yes, you do. Yes. And I don't know if you've had that experience, but certainly for me, you know, getting the privilege of, of working in this way with my clients, sometimes they are hopeless and they're like, yeah. I just, I, I don't have one. I'm sorry. There's just been I've, I've committed too many sins or there's been too much abuse or trauma in my life. Like it's gone. And, you know, they, they borrow my hope and my confidence yeah. that no, it is not. And I will be with you and I will walk with you as we rediscover that and, and, and heal it, you know, br- nurture it and bring it back to strength. Yeah. I think the one thing that was coming to my mind is how, Within, you know, as we, as you beautifully outlined, kind of just the dynamic there within one's internal system, like the, the goal of integration and the goal of seeking, even when it's dysfunctional, I know you say this to me too, even in supervision and um, in my training of how even when it's dysfunctional, like it's going to keep operating that same way. But really what I'm hearing you say is like, when we start to bring these exiles in, it can kind of right cause some havoc sometimes like a lot of the times within that system because it's a new way of operating and even though right like as you and I both know like this aim this goal of pursuing wholeness and um really this I mean I mean this might be another side tangent but like really what gets me excited about IFS too is how are we especially those of us like who are pursuing a Christian Catholic life of desiring to give of ourselves how are we to give of ourselves if we don't 
possess ourselves in this way of being able to have this integrated and whole system. And so sometimes, yeah, it can be tumultuous, like being, you know, in reintegrating these these exile parts, but it's so worth it. Um, and it's an, an adventure. And then, and then the other thing I was thinking about as well in this is uh, something in my externship that we that my uh, professor that he talked about, Dr. Peter Martin, was this idea of internal evangelization is what he called it. Um, so this understanding of how like the the self, um, as you alluded to, Kenna, of in a way has some attributes and characteristics that resemble Jesus and the way that he lived. And so in a way, our, our true self is this this conduit of compassion, uh, curiosity, calming, all the eight C's of reaching out to those those exiles. Because I think a lot of the times these exiles, they have been stuck and frozen in time for so long that they they have such a hard time trusting the self. And they can be so afraid of, can I, can I trust my true self in this? And so if that true self is present and is able to extend that compassion and that understanding of, hey, like I'm here for you, like I want to get to know you and befriend you, then there's that that internal evangelization that takes place, um, which we know that is more than just a snap of the finger, but is a process and a beautiful journey um, to undergo. Oh, I love that. And I love your yeah acknowledgement of what a deeply empathetic process this is. Um, I think about how much I have grown in self-compassion, which has allowed me to be compassionate with others, primarily my children who are just parts with arms and legs sometimes running around in this world. Um, and and yeah, the the way in which the healing comes is for true for the protectors to pull back and for the true self to connect with the exile, who I often think of as like a little scared puppy, like, you know, yeah. backing up into the back corner of their kennel. Mm. And that, you know, new owner is reaching in and going, no, 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 you can trust me, like, come forward, mm. come forward. And, and maybe that puppy has had some really unfortunate and painful experiences with his previous owner or what have you. And, and it's like, gosh, can I, can I really be known by you? Can I really share what makes me feel scared and trust that you'll provide for me and true self, like you said, Jesus out to his, out to his flock, out to those on the margins um, says, yes, you can like come close. I want to know you. I want to take care of you. I want you to be a part of the whole. Mm. Um, so yeah, interior evangelization. I, I love that. And that is so profound. Thanks for that. I had not heard that before. Um, so so are you up for it? Um, are you up for sharing with us um, yeah. what you've come to know about yourself? And, and I'm hopeful that listeners can can benefit from beginning to conceptualize your world and maybe think about their own. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so I have my handy dandy. Obviously, you can't see it, but I have brought my, my uh, parts map, um, which yeah, has outlined. So one of the things that I love personally about IFS is how it can so easily be integrated with creative elements. And so just being able to draw and write and include colors and it is very much so, uh, yeah, a whole experience. Um, and so, yeah, I thought today that, um, just noticing even, you know, what better way to be able to share my parts than to notice even right now on the podcast what parts have been present or what parts are showing up. And so one of the parts that um, that has been showing up on this podcast has been noticing my anxious part that has been just creeping up and then I try to push it back down and then it's coming back up. And so I would love to just give the listeners here uh, up close and personal, just, yeah, inside, inside the life of Louisa and her internal system um, regarding this part, um, because this has been a part that I have spent a lot of time with getting to know and specifically within uh, yeah, the experiential group, the externship, uh, there'd be times when we would practice with the other classmates. And so this was a part that I often would bring um, to explore and to get to know um, in those those practices and in those uh, times of uh, exploration. Um, and so yeah, first of all, um, when I yeah just sit here and as I just do what I call the inward turn inside of myself, um, I acknowledge that there is this presence. So a lot of the times these parts first show up with within the body. So there may be a f certain sensation or feeling that that is present. And so as I just sit here, I start to notice that this anxious part 
as it kind of creeps up my chest, up into um, my throat, that there is often this this experience of it feels like hands that kind of grip um, within my chest. And it can oftentimes influence my voice. So sometimes my voice starts to get wavery because the anxiety starts to come up into my throat area. And also it, 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 it oftentimes will start to make its way into my head. And so it affects even just like my ability to think straight in the way that I want to think. Um, and so I'm just noticing right now that sensation that is there, um, kind of that activation of that part Um Interesting enough, as I've gotten to know this anxious part, I've noticed that there's a color that often comes up with it, and it's the color green, um, because a lot of the times when I encounter this part, it has this slimy kind of sensation to it. It kind of slithers around, um, and so it makes its way up, and it's green. Um, Something else that I notice about this part is that a lot of the times it likes to blend with myself. And so I can often feel towards it, a lot of agitation, frustration towards it. And so many times I, yeah, like can feel very, like want to get rid of it um, within, within my system. Yeah. So as I sit with this part some more, I start to notice um, that as I extend you know, true self as I make some space for this part, you know, it wants to keep, it keeps creeping up, wanting to blend. And so as I take a breath and ask it to give me some space, I start to notice that true self is experiencing a curiosity towards this part and wanting to know like, hey, like anxious part, I understand that right now that you are agitated, that, you know, this is alarming, perhaps that here you are speaking on a podcast and and I really hear, like, as I get to know this this part, you know, asking it, hey, what are you, it sounds like you're really, you know, maybe um, upset about something. Like, I want to understand um, the fear that may be behind this anxious part, because really how I see it is that this anxious part is protecting me from an exile. And so as I ask the anxious part, you know, what are you afraid of? What do you want to tell me? Um, it it really reveals to me in this moment that it's it's afraid of rejection it's afraid of abandonment it's afraid of you the listeners saying oh louisa you don't know what you're talking about we're gonna we're gonna walk away from this podcast you know moving on to the next the next podcast on my my library um and and that's the fear that's behind it um there's a fear of the abandonment there and i I can understand that there's the self can understand this fear because as I've come to know this part, something that has been revealed to me is that this part, the anxious, well, the anxious part that protects the exile, the exile is actually very young. Um, it's actually three years old. Um, and there's, you know, even a memory attached to that of, you know, my mom, she had an emergency pregnancy and she had to leave suddenly to go to the hospital with my little sister. And, you know, it wasn't their intention to to get up and go in the middle of the night and leave. But as a little girl, as a three-year-old, like that was that was really hard. And I didn't understand. And I felt like my mom in that moment had abandoned me. And so that, that has been a memory that I have brought to my own therapy, my own counseling to process. And so really this, this exile is concerned about that happening again um, in, a, in a lesser way here today. Um, and so my anxious part is actually really trying to protect this exile. And so true self is actually feeling a lot of gratitude it's feeling a lot of gratitude for this anxious part and wants to thank the anxious part for protecting this three-year-old girl so yeah that's amazing I mean just first of all I love the illustration Louisa I know there's been a lot of work behind it but but what you just did is something that you know, we can each do individually as we get to know our parts, as you mentioned, mapping out our parts. That's a big part of IFS is getting to know the cast of characters that exist in us. Um, What I'm struck by as I just witness you doing this um, on, on the episode is that deep compassion and how confident I am that your true self is present because of your ability to see behind the act itself, right? The, the act itself would be the anxious, the anxious mood, the anxious feeling inside of your body and understandable that you would be annoyed with that. And like, now is not the time. Like I'm about to go yeah. on air. Um, but, but to see past that and to see, 
oh, here's this deeper motivation. Thank you for caring about me. I get it. I get why it really wouldn't be um, my desire to have all of that abandonment. Um, you know, those those feelings, those memories, those beliefs come come back. Thanks for trying to prevent that from from coming mm-hmm. back full force. Um, and also, can can we work together toward taking care of me? Anxious part can because because the goal of parts is not to eliminate them, not to kick them off the bus, mm-hmm. but to say, hey, can you sit in the in the back seat, right? Not in the driver's seat. Don't don't sit on my face. Don't sit on my lap. Like, like uh, true self, I'm going to be here driving the bus, but can you, can you stay? Because I do believe you have an important role. And as we do the healing work, our parts will take on new roles. Um, I see that in my work with clients. It's so amazing. It doesn't always happen this way, but often the part can... Um, right there in front of me transform from maybe a more self-destructive, maladaptive strategy that the protector was using to something that is actually so life-giving. As you were talking and describing, Louisa, your own process with that anxious part, um, I was reminded of those verses from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, where he says, what I do, I do not understand, for I do not do what I want, but I do what I hate. And then further on in chapter seven, for I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil I do not want. And and just thinking about um, how, how initially we can reject a part, right? You were saying like, I feel agitated with this anxious part of me and and I can reject it and I can say like, there can be no good in this. There can, there's no way that that part, right? I mean, I work with individuals whose parts are um, are addicted, you know, to substances, mm-hmm. addicted to pornography, addicted to gambling, shopping, mm-hmm. um, parts of themselves that lie and deceive, um, parts that that want to self harm, that have urges to harm or even kill themselves, and and of course, initially at the outset, it's like, how can that be good? It can feel irrational to want to be close to a part that clearly has a self destructive strategy, right? A, a part mm-hmm. that gets us drunk, blackout drunk, mm-hmm. or a part that wants to hurt us, wants us to hurt ourselves, I should say. Um, but man, when we enter in with that compassion, when we can when we can have enough space for true self to show up and really reach out in tenderness and with a confidence that says, I know there is good in you and I know that you want my flourishing. Can we work together to understand this? Um, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And I think it's why it's the, it's the theory and it's the way of working with clients that has stuck with me um, because it has been the most effective in mm. my office um, with clients who feel like they have no hope and who really come in with, um, yeah, some dangerous symptomology mm. even. And, and I think moving away from rigidity and yes. black and whiteness. When we work with parts, I see clients being more flexible with themselves and with others. Um, I'll, I'll hear them start to, um, you know, give their spouse the benefit of the doubt, um, you know, give their children a chance to share, you know, why I acted in this way or why I made that choice versus an immediate, um, you know, kind of taking it at face value and being like, well, that act is objectively wrong. I mean, it, it may very well be. And also let's understand the motivation behind that, the intention behind that. Um, I love the way that IFS helps us depathologize, um, you know, moving away from maybe more of a medical model of mental health treatment and to say, you know, we, we know that the human person's nature is to strive for life. We would say eternal life um, and that our earthly work is the integration um, so that we, we can arrive in heaven ready for that wholeness, um, ready for that intense communion with, with God and you know, with others in the communion of saints. Um, I love it for, for that purpose, for sure. Yeah, it's so awesome. And it's it has been such a gift as we turn the corner here, Louisa, toward the end of the episode um, to to receive your vulnerability and your willingness to open up your inner world, your internal experience to us for our benefit of, yeah, wondering if maybe this could be of benefit for us. So um, I'm going to let you share your challenge by choice yeah. with our listeners um, before we take it home. Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, it has been such an honor to be able to share a little bit about something that has been transformative in my own life and my own story. And 
will continue to be so. Um, and so I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. So thank you, Kenna. Praise God. Um, as for my challenge by choice, um, so perhaps listeners, as you have been hearing this all, Maybe you've been noticing some of your own parts starting to get activated. As maybe a part that's like, this is baloney. <laughs> this is crap. They are crazy. Like, yeah, maybe a part like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or maybe there's a part that is like, huh? Like, is there a little skeptic? Uh, you know, skeptical. Maybe there's a part that is doubtful. Yeah, there could be a lot of different parts that are that are just showing up um, right now. And so, what I'm going to invite you all um, to do is in the next, you know, maybe it's right after this episode, maybe maybe a few days from now, maybe tomorrow, um, but to take five or 10 minutes and to really, because really, um, I think we mentioned this before, is this understanding of how with IFS, like we can talk about it all we want and talk about how excited and ways that it's transformed our own lives. But really, IFS takes life and takes form when we can experience it for our own selves and this emphasis on the experiential aspect of it. Um, I lately have been a little bit of a neuroscience geek and love to understand what goes on inside the brain. Um, and one thing that I found very fascinating is that um, within uh, different modalities or, or, yeah, with IFS and when we are engaging more of this internal process, uh, there is a, a term for that called interoceptive awareness. And when we are going deeper into ourselves and and turning inward, there's actually an engagement with deeper parts of our brain um, that we may not otherwise engage with. And so um, really the hope here in, in this challenge by choice is to invite you to go deeper into your own system and to engage, uh, you know, what has been coming up and being honest with yourself of like, oh, this this part has been coming up. And so um, also I love the creative uh, components that can be uh, brought into IFS. And so yeah, if that means, you know, bringing out some some coloring pens, some markers, some pencils, and I would encourage like taking a blank white piece of paper and maybe it's just setting your timer for like five minutes and just getting curious, allowing really your true self, the curiosity, the creativity, the clarity, the calmness, just to really um, drive the boat for just a little bit and to just see what happens to be this this discovery that can be there when we just, yeah, just allow there to be space to uncover. Um, so that's my my challenge by choice. Oh, I love that. I, I do that with clients at the beginning of the work and I call it roll call. I'll mm. say like, just name them. I'll just start mm. taking notes and then I give them the notes back and they go create something, you know, visually. Um, some, you know, do it with drawings, others just do it with color or symbols. Um, but I say, we want to start to get to know your cast of characters because we're going to get to see them often. Um, it feels really chaotic often inside of us. But really, when it comes down to it, like there's really just a, f- a handful of main players that we see, you know, on a daily basis. Um, so I love that challenge by choice, just getting curious. And, and maybe I'll add to that as well, that we will put uh, you know, a lot of links on the show notes for today. And so if this at all piqued your interest more than just getting to hear a little bit of how we work on the clinical side of things, um, then please go check out another podcast. Maybe consider watching um, one of Schwartz's videos um, or, or picking up a book um, to learn more about internal family systems and just the the life that it can bring to to bring order and unity inside of us. Um, so I will pray us to closing Louisa, um, and we will wrap up this another great episode. So let us pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, you are our triune God. You are three persons in one God, and you show us what perfect unity and communion, um, what it looks like to be united for a common mission and goal. And you ask us to reflect that in our own life. I thank you for this conversation today with Louisa. I thank you for the, the gifted mind and the tender and open heart that you have placed within her Lord, that we could benefit from her story and from her education and her experiences. I praise you. Um, I pray that that our own hearts and minds can be open to what we've heard 
what we felt stirring in us, and that we would be obedient to your Holy Spirit, wherever it might lead. We surrender our whole selves, Lord, before you and ask you to bless bless it all. Bless the parts that we are confident are good and pleasing to you and bless the parts that that sit in darkness and perhaps even in shame and and just hold us in your most sacred heart. We pray all these things in your powerful name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Louisa. Again, uh, an episode that has been long waiting yes, on yes. Um, on the queue in the queue of my mind, and so grateful to get to bring it to life with you. And thank you, listeners, for um, being with us again for another episode, um, for helping us to um, to bring healing and to bring wholeness into this world um, through each of our individual choices and acts. Um, we'd love to to be connected with you to hear what you think about IFS, what experience experiences maybe you embark on after this, um, reach out to us through our website, thiswholelifepodcast.com. Connect with us in all the social ways on Facebook and Instagram, This Whole Life Podcast. Um, feel free to yeah, let us know what else you want to hear. We want to support you in this life towards sanity and sanctity. And until next time, God bless you all. You're not alone. This Whole Life is a production of the Martin Center for Integration. Visit us online at thiswholelifepodcast.com. All right, I'm ready. Ready? Yep. Pumped up? I'm pumped up. (laughs) As pumped up as one should be. Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) Such a thing. You ready?